Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to Cheaper Than Therapy, a podcast that journeys into conversations that demystify, destigmatize, and desensitize what goes on both inside the therapy room and in daily life. I'm Vanessa Bennett. And I'm Danae Logan. And we are seekers, soul sisters, and holders of sacred space. Every week, we sit down for soul-provoking conversations with fellow seekers, thought leaders, change makers, and even real people during live coaching sessions as they navigate the hard work it takes to be a human. This is Cheaper Than Therapy. Okay, y'all, we have some exciting news. So if you want to dive deeper into the ways that the conversations and topics that Danae and I are always talking about and having can impact your evolution and growth personally, then you should join us in Nosara, Costa Rica at Bodhi Tree Yoga Resort, June 3rd through 10th for our upcoming intensive retreat, which we're calling Reclaiming Audacity. Yes, we are joining forces with two of our colleagues, Millie Murillo and Ashley Torrent, to create a week full of transformational healing by exploring the narratives that have shaped our current perspectives, challenge some of the limiting ways of being, and discover tools for integrating spiritual perspectives with the struggles we will inevitably face in our day-to-day lives. So if you'd like some more information, you can head to the link in either of our social bios or head to Vanessa's website underneath retreats for some more details. Hope we see you guys in Costa Rica. Yeah. And there are payment plans available. So make sure you email me or DM me if you have any questions. See y'all in the jungle. (laughs) I feel like very rarely are we like, we should record this guest's intro immediately. But I think we were both so moved by this conversation that we felt like we needed to talk about it right away. Yeah, I I'm struggling almost a little bit to find like articulate word like the articulate thoughts or words I suppose to describe, you know, and I was trying to explain to you that there's there's something for me and you know, I've I've talked to you about this a little bit before where I with these conversations that we have and the kind of people that we bring in for conversations um there is I think a longing that I have too to like, and you'll laugh at this because you always do, but it's like, you know, I want to nerd out on like the other random topics that I'm also because I'm interested in everything. And that's just the kind of person I am. And I find 
curiosity and joy in all the dumb things. I mean, it's like, I want to talk to like, you know, an astronaut and I want to talk to like everything, like literally everything, you know, and you always kind of laugh about that, but it's, there's something about bringing somebody on to talk. And of course, healing space, they're in this world, they speak this language, but also, um, I don't know the, the crossway, the cross point, what's the word I'm thinking of, of, um, their healing work, but also something that's really alive in the collective right now. Um, politically, socially, uh, there's a real fire. There's a real burning that's going on specifically around this right now. And there's something in that, like, I guess the deep in me, the little, the little anarchist that's marching in the streets saying, fuck the man <laughs> is like very passionate about these kind of conversations. And, um, I don't know. She really lit me up in a lot of ways. Yeah. You know, I think what comes up for me around Vicky and, you know, you'll hear in this conversation, the extent to which I believe that Vicky and so many people in the trans community are such potent way showers in how we find our way back to love as a collective, because I think it's that thing of like hating those who hate generate some more hate. And Vicky is just like the embodiment of walking love. Like the moment you meet her, um, she's just so loving. It's just so big. And, you know, we were talking about um, one of my favorite movies is American History X. And I think what I took away from that movie is it is really hard to hate anyone up close. And I think that so much of what we are struggling with societally is that we just really like recoil away from things that we don't understand, oftentimes because they are placing a mirror in front of us about the elements of ourselves, that the shadow elements that we're not willing to look at. And I think when someone like Vicky speaks to her story, her childhood in a way that just develops like such a depth of empathy for anyone who's listening, um, it changes the way we're holding these conversations. And I think that to me is how we change the world. That is the ripple that we are able to create by each person saying, oof, I see this a little bit differently than I did before I heard this person speak on their experience, you know? Mm. So I'll put, so y'all are about to hear an amazing conversation with the one and only Vicky Vox. And Vicky is an artist, a healer, a mystic, and just all around an amazing gem of a human and soul. Yeah. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. Danae and I are super excited today to talk with the lovely and magnificent Vicky Fox. We have so many things to talk to you about. Oh, <laughs> this is a joy. This is a joy. I'm happy to be here. Thank yeah. you for having me. Vicky, I've been raving about you since I met you at the end of last year at a sunset circle with a mutual mm. friend of ours, um, Stacey Levine. We'll give her a little shout out who runs Sacred <laughs> Woman Collective. And we did a sunset circle in honor of the LGBTQI community. And it, I was just so moved by everything that came out of your mouth. I was just like, <laughs> oh, this soul. Um, Queen, I just, I, I really feel like um, the way you show up in the world is so moving. And so I wanted Vanessa to meet you, but I also wanted to share some of your wisdom with our listeners. So can we start off just a little bit with you giving us some of your backstory, telling us a little bit about how you became who you are today, Vicky? 
Oh, I know. Don't worry. We ask everybody. We're okay. therapists. You want to know about the background, right? I mean, well, first of all, thank you. <laughs> thank you for that lovely little hello. Um, where do I even start? I, I am <laughs> now currently a psychic, a medium, a clairvoyant. I do, I work as a spiritual guide for people. I read playing cards, tarot cards, all of it. Um, recently I leveled the game up and doing house clearings and things for people with entities in their homes. You know, I'm, I'm a spiritual practitioner. So all of the above, I'm also an artist. I had a 12 year Mm -hmm. career as a professional drag queen traveling and touring the world. Mm -hmm. And I was a musician before that singer songwriter before that. So my, my heart has always been wide open. And I think it's been the last Mm -hmm. couple of years Ever since I truly decided to lean into my medical transition, mm. um, have I been able to lead with my heart, the soft, squishy, vulnerable spaces, and I stopped fighting the world and moving through it like a wrecking ball. And that's how I got here. <laughs> mm. Well, first of yes. all, I'm curious to hear a little bit about where you grew up, because I feel like, you know, having a heart that open. And, um, you know, I think as is the case for many of us, like there can be some grappling with identity and what that means in a world that isn't always as open <laughs> in terms of Ooh. like how connected we are to our hearts. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, um, but yeah, like where did you grow up and what was that like for you to have that level of open heart? Um, before you really were able to tap into being an acceptance of that. Do you know what I mean? Well, that's the real question. Mm. It was awful. Mm. <laughs> awful, 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 awful. Mm. Um, but also mm. really beautiful. <laughs> so <laughs> there's so I grew up in Jersey. I'm from South Jersey. Wow. East yeah. Coast or I'm from New York. <laughs> <laughs> we used to rep mm. Philly hard. Um but I grew yeah. up in South Jersey. My mother was Italian and German from South Philly. And my father was an immigrant from Morocco. So I grew up in a Catholic and Muslim household. And mm. then growing up, I didn't really understand my father like at all. Like at all. Um, there's something that happens when you're first generation where you're meant to assimilate and blend in, but also like stick to the old ways and... So that was very difficult because none of it made any sense. And there were so many languages spoken at home. Life was just very confusing. Mm-hmm. Anytime I tried to express myself, because from a very young age, I literally saw the world differently. Mm-hmm. I would see, like if someone came into the home, I would know why they were sick. And I would speak on mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Or like, you know, <laughs> the neighbor comes over, well, why isn't she talking about her child? Like, and I would ask these things out loud. And... You know, it wasn't received very well. So at some point I I realized, like, they don't believe the truth, so I can start lying. (laughs) And that became Mm -hmm. a whole thing because people believed the lies. And I was like, that wasn't even real. Will you Mm. stay there for one second for me? Um, So you said they don't believe the truth, so I can start lying. Do you mean I need to start lying in order to keep myself Um, safe? Both. Both. Mm -hmm. It was more of, like... So I've always had a bit of a trickster spirit. Mm. 
So I was like, you're not listening to the truth. So I'm going to say stuff until you see what you believe. And then when. So stretch it, like I'll stretch it. I'll, I'll sprinkle some fairy dust on it. I'm going to make it look a little, and then we're just going to keep going with this to see how how much I can get. And if I figure out what you do believe, then I'll just go with that. Because Mm -hmm. I'm over here telling you the truth, telling you exactly what's happening and what's going on. And literally getting beaten to shut up about stuff. It was a very abusive, volatile home. My mother was very, very distant. She did her best. She was like the Martha Stewart. Mm -hmm. Everything looked great from the outside, Mm -hmm. but she was not present. (laughs) Like, at all. And my Mm -hmm. father didn't know how to communicate. And it was very abusive. So I, also the oldest child, I would stunt on stuff to get the attention, to lighten the load. If the air was really thick, you know, I'd crack the joke, do the dumb thing, whatever it was, to keep things moving. Somewhere in there, I stopped trusting myself because everyone else was telling me what was right. For example, when I'm telling you that I'm having these dreams and I'm waking up in different locations other than the home, and the doctor is telling me, you just have a very vivid imagination and, you know, you have a fever, this, that, and the third, go back to sleep. That's not what's happening. I'm over here talking to spirits. And I knew when my great-grandmother died and I went and told my mother, she made fun of me and said, that's enough of this. I'm trying to sleep. And to shut that down repeatedly, if that's how you feel about stuff that I know is happening, I can no longer share my truth. Mm-hmm. So when it came time to like, that was all before six, seven, eight years old. Wow. So then come, you know, eight years old. Now I'm at school. Being completely, I won't even say bullied because it does not sound as violent as it is. I was tormented, tormented, tortured, harassed, abused, verbally assaulted daily just for existing. Because I was one of those, excuse my language, sissy bitches. It's not my mm-hmm. fault. And I was also very good at everything I did. <laughs> not my fault. But then it was <laughs> really pissed them <laughs> really off. Pissed them off. <laughs> so not only this, like the teachers love me because I'm a little old soul, which is, you know, just trauma and trying to get next to whoever can protect you a little bit. And they always fail you. That's fine. You learn that lesson and then you figure out how to take care of it for yourself. But then when everybody's figuring themselves out, you know, in fourth and fifth grade, when people are like coupling off, I didn't understand what that meant. I thought that was just what people were supposed to do. So when I tried to do it and I asked like a Valentine to be my Valentine, they were like, (laughs) no. So it's just rejection, rejection, rejection. I can't figure myself out. I can't express myself. Who do I talk to? And then I'm being abused at home and abused at school. I found myself, the only safe place for me was in the drama club and theater department because there Mm -hmm. everything was pretend and everything could go. Like everything could exist Mm -hmm. in that space. When you do like a two hour improv session, Like, nobody's going to negate you. Mm -hmm. So that's how I came to that, if that makes sense. I hope that answered your question. (laughs) It did. And, you know, I just want to say, I want to, like, highlight the importance of the arts in what you're saying, too. Because I think for so many kids, it is a safe space. And I think, you know, in a lot of areas, the arts are sort of... um, the first things to go or be cut mm. by school systems. And I, you know, I was in musical theater. Yeah. Well, so <laughs> I feel you on that. And I think there is something about like 
when I, when I didn't feel safe in my skin or when I didn't feel like I was good at math or history or whatever the other things are. And it doesn't sound like that was your word, but I think for a lot of kids, that is the space that, um, I can just find a little, little twinge of self-acceptance in a world where I don't feel ever like I'm okay. And so, oh my God, do we need to protect that? That part, I think from a very young age, I remember begging, like Mm -hmm. begging to take um, like drama workshops, theater classes. I'm I, I, as soon as you could start in music in elementary school, I did. And because there, it was just magical and everything made sense. So I've always mm-hmm. been involved with music and performing, whether it was playing instruments or singing, whatever it was. I remember sometimes in like choir as a child, when I would completely forget to sing because I was just enjoying the moment. That you're just in all of these good vibrations and just yes. <laughs> this is this is where it's at. Because <laughs> the minute that was over, life was not like that. Yeah. Meanwhile, all this is happening. Mm. I remember being very, very young and telling my mother, well, first of all, we're not even talking about the trans stuff. So I was I would have like female things and they would be ripped away from me and I would have my ass beaten, whooped. For even daring to play with my sister's toys. Or when I found my mom's mm-hmm. heels. Or twirled in a skirt. My father once picked me up. I know this is. We're going there. I was outside. He built a sandbox. A whole playground. For the kids. I was playing in the sandbox. But because of the way I was sitting. He called me inside the house. Because he didn't want to do it in front of the neighbors. Called me inside the house and beat me seven ways from Sunday because I was sitting in the sandbox wrong. How are you supposed to sit? It's mm-hmm. a sandbox. Okay. So hyper vigilant and trying to, you know, find my way forward. And at one point I remember, because I didn't understand the point of religion, mm-hmm. it didn't make sense to me. I was happy to go, but I was always the kid that asked the questions, but like, why do we do this? And why do I have to tell the priest my stuff? That doesn't make sense. I sat my mom down when I was going to CCD, like Catholic school. Mm -hmm. I said, mom, why do we have to tell the priest our secrets when I talk to God all the time? Oh my God. Why is this little baby right there? She's like, yes, shut up. I don't know. It's what we do. <laughs> don't question. Okay. Yeah, don't question. So I made a promise with my mom that I would, because she just, I'm, God bless her. She just wanted everything to be okay. Mm-hmm. And she had no control. Mm-hmm. So I made a promise. I said, I will do all of the, the things you want me to do. But as soon as I make my confirmation, as soon as I'm done with all the steps and all the rituals and all the rites that you're supposed to do in the Catholic church, I get to decide whether or not I stay. Mm. Somehow she agreed to that because it was letting her have all of her little celebratory parties, let the neighbors see, let everybody be proud that I did the things. But then once I was done, I never went back to church. This whole time, I was still faking it till I made it. I was pretending to be whoever I needed to be to get to the next level, to get to the next mile marker, to graduate high school, to get into college, to get the scholarship, just so that I personally could get away from home. Yeah. Yeah. 
I want to, so there's something that you wrote, um, you know, in the questionnaire that we have obviously guests fill out beforehand that I, I wanted to pause on because this feels like a good moment. So you were talking about how at some point in your teen years, you did go to therapy oh. and it sounds like no. it was I said, oh. not, oh. it was, <laughs> no. yeah. And it sounds like it was not such a great experience. And I, and I want to, I want to touch on that. I want you to explain that a little bit. Um, but what I want to say for people listening is the way that you wrote it, you said when truth telling made everything worse. Well, damn. So will you tell us about that? Absolutely. So I don't know everybody's business and I don't want to assume anything. So I'm going to say this when you are in abusive relationships, sometimes speaking on things makes the perpetrator lash out harder. They will save face in public spaces, but the minute you are behind closed doors, rain rains upon you. It is like hellfire and fury. And and Vicky, I want to pause really quick because people that are listening to this, there is actually with, when we are trained to be a therapist, right? One of the number one things that we are taught is that if there is an abusive relationship, now we're talking about it usually in terms of like a romantic partnership, but honestly, it's the same when it comes to an abusive, let's say family, home, mm. right? Home life. If the abuse is going on, you do not treat them as a couple. You do not treat them as a unit because it makes the abuse worse. I mean, that is documented. But I think that's, that's actually really important, B, because we actually don't learn that in our mm-hmm. training. We learn it in the context of couples therapy, but not family work. Yeah. And couples, but I think that's important but not for, family. for right. us to, like, thank you for bringing that in, Vicky, because I think that's, like, a really important aspect of family dynamics that isn't addressed a lot of time within therapy schools that, like, you can be making family dynamics more dangerous. It's not just in couples. Like, if a child speaks out, sometimes they can be harmed. It's kind of really scary to, if I told anyone that I didn't feel safe. Okay, so I actually would, after class, after school, the school day was done, I would go over any friend I could's house. Like, Mm -hmm. I was not going home because Mm -hmm. my father was only home certain hours. And I knew if I could just miss him, then I would miss whatever mm-hmm. that was about to be. Because this is a man who kicked me down a flight of stairs because I did folded the laundry wrong. Or because my bed mm-hmm. wasn't made properly. That I got flipped out of bed and water thrown on me because the bed wasn't made properly at a certain time. So it wasn't even some... I was just mm-hmm. terrified. So saying anything would exacerbate that. And my mother didn't believe any of it because she never laid eyes on it most of the time. She wasn't there. Mm -hmm. And if she was, she was too afraid to say anything because she thought it was a one-off. So who got you into therapy? Oh, thank you for bringing me back to that. Was it your family or was it the school? So I actually was having such a hard time that I drank a fifth of Jack Daniels before I was in 10th grade. This is after multiple things had happened. Um, I had just like reached my limit of dealing with life. And I had already been um, in a mental ward for suicidal ideation. Um, but again, brushed under the rug because Italian, brushed under the rug because the Moroccan family, nobody wants to talk about it. It was just, it's a phase, we'll get over it. So I drank a fifth of Jack Daniels on the bus on the way to school in the morning. And I ended up being kicked out of school because I was intoxicated on school grounds. 
And in order to get back into the school system, I had to be enrolled in rehab. And the insurance and my family, they decided outpatient rehab was the best. But in order to even make it through any of this, the therapist in rehab had to approve me returning to school. Hmm. So that was my first introduction to therapy. And I couldn't actually tell them anything because then once again, I would be the problem. Mm-hmm. And where do I turn? And also the people I was in there with were like in there for heavy drug use. This and, and you know, they were teens. We were all teens in rehab. And, you know, getting our urine tested and all of this. I was just like, I just this is this is traumatic in and of itself. I don't even need to be here. I was trying to get out of a situation. I got myself further into a situation. It was just a mess. So I told them whatever I thought would get me the least amount of days in this, the least amount of time, they would not tell my parents anything. They would just give me the approval and let me get the hell out of here. Mm-hmm. I actually forget a lot that happened during that time because it was so much. Sure. And then I forget that it even happened because life is so crazy that crazier things have happened since then. <laughs> Forgive mm-hmm. me for laughing. Life is just nuts, y'all. <laughs> No, I mean, there, I think there's something to be said for having to laugh sometimes, <laughs> you know, I, I honestly, I mean, I, I think it's really important that I wanted, I wanted to bring that into the conversation because obviously as therapists, right. Um, Danae and I have had a lot of conversations and I want you to kind of continue on, on your journey where you're at now. Cause I don't want to like preemptively talk about your experience with therapy that actually was helpful mm. to get there. But Danae, but Danae and I have had conversations about this, um, about how, whether it's my experience that I've struggled with becoming a mother, whether it's Danae's experience as a black woman, like there are things that I think as therapists, it's really difficult um, to help me, Danae, on this, like connect or understand somebody's experience if you haven't lived that experience. And I think as therapists, we're taught like you can be empathetic and hold space for anyone. And while I believe to a certain extent that's true, I don't always believe that you're going to be the best catalyst or or healer for that person um, if you have not had that shared, like that shared experience. Right. Mm. Um, and so I, I just wanted to put that out there. Well, that oh, hold on. That hit me right in the heart in the good place because that is exactly why I believe, hold on, I'm about to cry. Um, <laughs> I'm doing the work I'm doing now. Yes. Because I can see. Yes. I can hold the proper place. I can tell you that there are better days coming. Mm-hmm. Woo! Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is part of the conversations that a lot of us have been having around this idea of decolonizing therapy. And Mm. therapy, air quotes, therapy, not always having to look like what we, the white Western cisgendered men have considered and created therapy doesn't have to always look like that. I have been saying this, Jesus, because, (laughs) but I think it's so important. I have found, um, and I'm going to say it, colonizer therapy to be Mm -hmm. invaluable now. It is precious because in in Western therapy, you have a vocabulary 
to address things from a, a perspective, from all perspectives with that vocabulary. That without that vocabulary, mm-hmm. because we've been so detached from the natural world mm-hmm. and natural phenomena and mm-hmm. um, nature medicine, and even just the medicine of our spirit itself, that without that vocabulary, we couldn't explain those phenomena. Mm. like we we needed a way back to that and i think that that's why therapy came through in the first place that that's why the scholastics of it mm. came through in the first place to get us back home mm. so i think it's it, as wild and as for me as limiting as it is it also breaks through the limits and breaks through the parameters that are mm. you know designed and set aside in the dsm-5 yeah, I think it's, I think that's a really generous um, yeah. way of holding it, to be honest. With you. And, <laughs> and it, and I, I agree with you that I think there's complexity and a little bit, this has been my internal struggle a lot of times around all of the various forms of traumatic experiences that certainly marginalized people have had, but like, I don't know, like across the board, what some sort of a, um, bureaucracy tells you your way of healing needs to look like in order for it to be effective. And the ways that, you know, I think a lot of people will have trauma around what some of these experiences have been for them in the past. Certainly um, there's like generational trauma in the ways that white cis men have held what it is to oppress certain groups through, you know, I, I'm in their head and I, I can tell you they're crazy. And, you know, maybe because they're experiencing the world in a way that might be a little bit different than what the quote norm is. Um, I think it's been yes. abusive in a lot of cases. So it's tough. It's complex. It's been used and as such. I, I really appreciate yeah. what you're saying because that aspect of, um, what, what there is in terms of the value of the educational and the educational experience and what the understanding of psyche and, you know, what is happening, that is also valuable. But I think to me, and this is, you know, Vanessa and I approach things from a depth psychological lens, which is more like the psychology of the soul. So this will mm. resonate with you. Um, I'm so curious. I'm like, that is what the way we're taught to approach whatever the work is. And you're telling me about this child and I'm like, was nobody curious? Like, why are you drinking a fifth of, you know, like where was the curiosity about like what is happening for this child? And for me, that has been historically what is missing in some of these more bureaucratic ways of holding the work. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Cause being curious, staying curious allows for the possibility of the root behind the symptoms. Yes. Instead of addressing any of Mm -hmm. the symptoms, which happens in just Mm -hmm. Western medicine as well stop trying to cure the symptoms and get to the reason why that system or a symptom showed up in the first place (laughs) this is why i love this yeah Yeah. and but and it's it's understandable um and i look at my mother in that aspect because she's just trying to keep things together so cauterizing the wound doing the thing just to survive makes sense but that was for survival. That's because mm-hmm. the system was not meant for us to thrive. So now we're moving right. into thrival. Like, mm-hmm. let's let's go over there. I think I spent right. the last couple of years recovering from survival. And now mm-hmm. the world is opening up again. I feel like we're actually 
blooming as people now. Like we've taken a breath. Everybody took a beat. (laughs) I spent some time in time out, got it together. And if you didn't, you realize maybe you do need a time out. But let's go back (laughs) because I want to talk about when therapy did work. When I actually felt seen. Yes, please. And not only felt seen, I saw a reflection of what was possible. So I was really successful as a drag queen, like very successful. I was working nonstop. And I found that I was not happy because I found that thing that I was looking for my whole life where people just saw me who I was. The reason I became a drag queen in the first place was because I was auditioning for stuff. I was trying to find my way, trying to get the job, trying to book the gig. And there was no cookie cutter thing that they could just plug me into because mm-hmm. I've never, <laughs> I don't really look like other folks. I don't sound like other folks. I don't behave like other folks. I'm not, I'm just not going to fit the mold. It wasn't for me. I'm not supposed to do that. I get it. I knew that at the time. I love being me. <laughs> However, it is. it was not beneficial financially. So I said, since y'all are not going to give me the roles, y'all are not going to put me on the tour, you're not going to put me on the cruise ship, you're not going to do this, I'm going to figure out my own way. I know that I can create anything from nothing. So I said, well, there is this feminine thing that needs to express in me, and it's the one thing that is keeping me back from getting all of these jobs. Because I'm too this, I'm too that. All right. Well, then we're going to use it as a weapon. So I took that and I created my character, Vicky Vox, which she was loud. She was the classiest, trashiest thing you'll ever meet. Okay. Everybody knows of Vicky. They don't call her Victoria because we're not going for tea. She's she's here to party. (laughs) And Vox was, you know, Latin for voice. And I love alliteration. So I spent years being the loud, brash one, telling it like it is, calling people out on stuff. If if I was in front of an audience and I was three sheets to the wind, everybody was getting a sermon that day. I don't care what it was about. Everybody's going to get a sermon. And then I I ended up in a girl group. We toured. We were singing songs about, you know, (laughs) terrible, terrible stuff. But, you know, this boy is a bottom. <laughs> we, were, we, we made an anthem about being a bottom. We were the ones, we made a song called Chow Down at Chick-fil-A to um, Wilson Phillips. Hold on for one more day. Chow down at Chick-fil-A. Because we, were, we wanted to sing about the hate meat. You know, that like, you can eat it if you want. You can gobble yeah. up a waffle fry. But they don't really, you know, it will make the baby Jesus cry. But just right, know, what, know you're what you're eating. eating. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. So in all of that, we were touring the house down, left, right. We were in Dubai. We were in Australia. Like, there wasn't anywhere we hadn't been. And then after that, I was like, y'all, I am living on planes. And everybody expects me to be this thing, this shield, this security blanket I have created for myself all the time. And I am not that. Mm. That was created for me out of necessity. And I was very good. (laughs) So... I understood. So I put an end to everything. And that led me spiraling down because all Mm. of the adrenaline, all of the survival hormones, the stress that was like peaked the entire time I was doing all of this 
you know, there was not a day that went by that I wasn't drinking. There wasn't a day that went by that if there was a party something in front of me, it was going to go. I was ingesting it because we had to do the uppers to get up and downers to get down. Like it was what it was. My best friend, um, actually living in this apartment at the time, was in school for their, they what are they now? They're a psychologist. They were doing their dissertation and everything at the time. And they were like, they sat me down one day and said, look, you can't live like this. Because I would not get off the couch. I, like, I wasn't working. I wasn't paying rent. I did not care if I lived or died. I was just like, I'm spent. And they said, look, I will take care of you. Don't worry about the rent. But you got to get up. And you got to at least try therapy. And because of what I had experienced as a kid, I was like, I don't know. I don't know. But but because <laughs> Been there. he looked me square in the face and all this, whoa, I'm about to cry. <clears throat> My best friend looked me square in the face. And said these words, I believe in you. I had never heard that. Not at that level. Like, when you haven't bathed in a week. <laughs> and you didn't care. They saw me and they said, look, I believe in you. Get it together. <laughs> you can do this. Woo. So I went to therapy. It took a while because I went to the LGBTQ center here in LA and they are backed up always. I eventually got in and I was concerned that I wasn't going to get in because it was going to be months. Um, when I did get there, I, by the grace of God, was given a counselor who was in transition themselves. Now at the time, I believe their name was Aloe. At the time, I had not decided that that was my path. To me, I actually, I did not plan on living past 27. That was not in the deck of cards for me. I didn't think it was possible for people like me. I was just like, I give up. In working with Aloe, I saw, and it wasn't even the answers. I just saw the possibility of what could be. I saw that there were questions that I wasn't answering, that I didn't know the answer. I didn't know it was a question that needed to be thought about at all. Like, who am I? What am I doing? Why am I here? Because I thought, again, this goes back from the child stuff. I thought I was supposed to do all the stuff everybody said I was supposed to do. And I did it all my way. And it still wasn't the ticket. Well, that led to a whole other opening mm -hmm. up of my life, and I got started to get back on track. I ended up booking some of the best gigs in my life. I was in films like Magic Mike XXL. I ended up being a lead in a show on the West End. I was in Little Shop of Horrors. They staged the whole show around me. Mm -hmm. um, I was the first, like, queen to do it. So instead of a puppet for the, the, the plant... I actually came out on stage mm -hmm. as a full queen and it was phenomenal. But at the end of it, it kind of felt like some really great sex and everybody else had come to completion and I did not. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh. <laughs> 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 straight women. 
And I said, what? Yeah, hey, it is what it is. Um, <laughs> I was like, this isn't it. This is not it, y'all. And around that time mm-hmm. is when I started, because of everything was kind of going great. And I had been doing it by myself now. It wasn't with a girl group. It wasn't with everything with me. I was like, nah, this still isn't it, though. And in that, in still asking those questions and returning to, like, I remember what I lived through as a child. And I remember, like, meditating as I was going to sleep and leaving my body. And I remember, like, my dreams being so vivid that they were otherworldly. And I remember all of this stuff. I, I remember, like, I would have these dreams and I would tell people and they would be like, wow, your imagination is really great. And I'm, no, no, no. Like, I know that being's name. We talk all the time. <laughs> like, this is not, I'm not making this mm-hmm. up. And I, maybe I am crazy. So somewhere in there, I had a moment where I had partied too hard and I was exhausted. And I was listening to whatever meditative music I was to try to get myself back on track. And all of a sudden, I was talking to God. Mm-hmm. Well, it was the I am consciousness. Mm-hmm. The I am that I am. When I was, this is what they said. When I was, that I am. And I was like, oh, 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 oh. And everything all of a sudden was so much bigger than me. And there was so much more that existed beyond me trying to move through this life. And then I was like, okay, we really got to listen to this. We really got to ask. First of all, me in this, in that area, my question is, what are they telling me to do? Like, are they asking me to self-harm? Are they, like, what are, what are they asking me to do? And it, the only information that ever came through was loving, healing, and helpful. And I said, okay, I trust this a little bit. But I texted my bestie, who, you know, is now a full doctor. And I was like, look, if you need to 5150 me at any time, because I'm over here talking to God, I understand. <laughs> and I will not hold it against you because this is nuts. <laughs> this is absolutely nuts. And at the same time that I'm like, this can't be possible. I'm also going, I have never known love like this. I didn't know that this was possible. I didn't think that that was for me. And here it is coming through so strong and engulfing and certain and steady that I was a fool to question it at all. And that just started to unravel Mm -hmm. that like, oh, I'm here to serve a purpose. And then diving deeper into like, what is my ancestral lineage? Why am I here? What am I supposed to heal? Because this is a lot and this burden is far too heavy. I am physically holding this Mm -hmm. burden. Which then I learned that I am not even, (laughs) I am more than human. My soul is female. This body was chosen by my ancestors to heal the masculine and feminine relationship over the years. And I was like, okay, well, that's a lot. (laughs) That's. (laughs) I didn't know I was ready for all of that. And so living in the purpose, I have to walk the path of being the in-betweener in order to navigate the relationship myself 
and and be the one because balance is not stillness it's a constant navigation so in order to find the balance Mm -hmm. that is why i'm here and i have to embody all of this feminine energy using the born male body if that makes sense i know i went on a tangent but (laughs) girl it's my life i mean i wish i could articulate with words the extent to which what you were saying makes sense and resonates so deeply there's something that you were saying about being the in-betweener for our society um i believe that a lot of times those who have experienced the most immense pain it is because their calling is like that immense it is that big right like what i'm meant to do with this life is that profound and Mm. i absolutely like feel in my body that of you vicky um you know i was i was listening i wish i could give this person um there i I don't know their name but it was on a lock do you follow a locks page i love a lock yes Yes, i love (laughs) they get it okay (laughs) so get it like Mm -hmm. uh, like every dropping gold constantly church yes. every um, single every more. single yes. thing is church. I love it. <laughs> but it wasn't yep. a lock it was someone else on their page saying basically the reason the trans community is under attack to the extent that they are right now is because in a lot of ways what is being demonstrated through our expression of truth of Mm. ourselves and the way that we accept ourselves fully is like holding up a mirror for society of all the ways you are rejecting yourself all of the ways that you have you know ingested that you need to keep yourself small and in a box and hurting right and allowing yourself to just think that it's okay to hurt through life and we tell you you don't have to do that it's really painful for you to witness Mm. and i was like jesus if that isn't the truth and if we take it back to you as a child, you know, um, mm. all of the ways that you were just existing in truth and that that was uncomfortable for yeah. all of these people around you. Um, God forgive your father, you know, that you existing in the truth of your essence was intolerable when I have rejected that so deeply within me. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Woo! God rest his soul. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That man had dealt with a lot. Well, Yeah. And I think this is a really good conversation segue to, you know, one of the questions around this healthy way for all communities to examine their own gender, right? Like this is what's coming up right now at this time, this moment that we're in, right? We know, everyone knows the trans community has been targeted. I mean, we all know that it's a whole smoke and mirrors bullshit show. Like let's pretend that this is the issue so that nobody's paying attention to the bigger issues, right? But very targeted, very specifically at this moment in time, more than they've probably ever been, even though there's always been targeting. Why is that important, right, for the communities to really, our communities to examine our own gender? I mean, would you say that it goes back to what you were saying about this idea of holding the in-between, like holding and integrating the masculine and feminine? Like, why do you think that's important, Okay, I guess? First, I would like to speak on the drag bills that are happening right now, because there is... A, an insidious maliciousness inside of these bills. Yes. It is not about drag. It is about being able to use those bills and the language of those bills to arrest trans people for existing. Because if they say that this is someone impersonating a man, then they can arrest them. 
for being in front of children. So that's just existing, going to the grocery store, going to the library. They're not going, they can't. So it's, they're, they're using drag as a, a shield, as a weapon. This has happened before. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. Before Stonewall, there was all kinds of laws and legislation in books, on, um, on record, everywhere, so that people, if you were out, the reason gay clubs exist, gay bars and all of this, they would have lights mm-hmm. inside of these bars, red lights, that would go on if the cops were coming. And if you were with a same-sex like dance partner, you would split up on the dance fl- floor and find the opposite. Mm-hmm. And you would be arrested if you were caught wearing garments for the other sex. Cross-dressing was illegal. This is why in West Hollywood, I'm sorry, I just feel a little bit of history on this is really important so that we can not repeat it, people. In West Hollywood, the Halloween parade that exists, and it's huge. Phenomenal. The reason it exists is because it was the one day of the year that was written into law where they could not be arrested for cross-dressing. Where you could not be arrested Mm -hmm. if a woman wanted to wear a three-piece suit, she could wear it on Halloween. That was why we take Halloween very seriously. (laughs) It's a high holy day Mm -hmm. over here. But to get to holding the masculine and the feminine and why it's important right now, I think it's actually even bigger than that. It's to know what masculine and feminine you are holding and are meant to hold. It's the asking of the question, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? Mm. It's the finding your intention for showing up every day. Are you just following the program that was set out for you that like works? Or are you asking like, do I even have a gender? What is the difference in my gender and my sexuality and my sex assigned for me? Was I just given a sex and that worked? So I went with it. Or maybe, who knows? Is there more? Just the, the the fact that there is a possibility for another. Because I firmly believe that if it is human, I am capable of it. Mm. At some level, I am capable of it. So why not sit with that question a little more? And then... To if you do have children, hold space for the possibility for them. They are not meant, children are not meant Mm -hmm. to be little yous. You are not Mm -hmm. meant to copy yourself and send it on into the system. No, no, no. I believe, which is why I don't think I'll ever have children, (laughs) that guardians, parents, are meant to steward the child. Like a gardener to a plant. You don't tell the plant how to grow and how many fruits it needs to have. No, no, no. You give it the right soil. You water it regularly. You might trim it up. Get it together real quick. <laughs> <laughs> Look nice in the world. <laughs> you know? But it's it's those questions that like, because then it's also the fear. Like I know for my, my mother, one of the reasons why she didn't know how to act or know what action to take is because she was paralyzed with fear. And doing the wrong thing and messing us up. So she did nothing. Yeah. And that's just as damaging. 
And so I'm less concerned with the current generation and all of us figuring it out because it's not that more people are suddenly trans. It's not that more people are suddenly gay. It's that we, we have been through it and are creating the spaces to keep us alive, to give us the room to breathe into our authenticity so that we can speak our truth and say, we are these things. This is who we are. It's not that there's suddenly more of us. No, no, no. We just refuse to be silent. We refuse to be invisible any longer because that invisibility is what kept us alive in the first place. For, for many trans individuals, the goal was stealth. The goal was passing in order to survive. So this is why um, many binary trans individuals will change their voices. They will do everything it takes to get the gender affirming care that they need and desire, which includes selling their body for surgeries, which includes, you know, whatever it is. <clears throat> Just so that they could be safe and feel like they belong in a system that was never designed for them. Mm. Mm. I know this is just, it's a huge conversation to be having, but it's time we have it because the amount, the percentage of trans individuals is not anywhere near as threatening as these reports are making it. We are a very small community. Yeah. Very loud, but small. I'm <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> so I just had such a like light bulb moment as you were talking, Vicky. I think Vanessa and I talk constantly about the extent to which this is a codependent society. And mm. I really feel like the trans community what clicked for me is you are the way showers in the integration of the masculine and feminine, which I at this point can't talk about masculine and feminine energy without like the conversation around interdependence and the way that we trade our truth, as John would say, for belonging, right? Like the way that we trade our authentic self as an, a way to attach to the people around us. But that's what everybody's Woo! doing, right? That everybody in one mm -hmm. form or another is trading their authenticity to belong to the collective group. And the way showers... Yeah are those that are saying, I cannot suppress my truth for you people. I cannot make myself small in order to belong. But that's what all of us need to do to heal. That's what all of us have been called from my perspective to do while we're breathing. It's just, I think we are seeing those who are the way showers under attack because mm. we're being called to rise collectively. Do you know what I mean? Woo! Isn't yeah. that the truth though? Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. I don't, I, I'm flabbergasted because it was the, I, I can no, I can no longer do this. This is not sustainable. This, and it doesn't encourage real love would not negate someone else's mm -hmm. truth, whatever it is. That's right. Yeah. That, that's not yes. a thing. This love, this is, I'm going to bring it to love. This love thing has to go inward. Because those little bits of ourselves, you know, the shadows, the, the demons, as we call them, we got to bring them into the light. And that's, going, that's a little painful. Hmm. It's a little painful. So some of the loudest of us, some of the loudest 
you know, in the communities that are marginalized and oppressed and who are speaking their truth to the rafters these days. I agree with you that we have been carrying some deep wounds and the strength it took to love those and bring them forward mm-hmm. is necessary to withstand what, like we were talking about growing up when I would speak the truth and I would receive the backlash because it would make things worse. There is a time where that will happen also in community and socially. So when you do speak the truth, that backlash still comes and you have to speak the truth anyway. You have to live your authenticity anyway, as long as you're not harming another individual. Mm -hmm. And in that, after that initial kickback, because it will be a while, there comes, you get, uh, it's a freeing up of the spirit. It's a freeing up of your breath. It's a freeing up of your heart space that feels like you can finally breathe. In a way that is terrifying because it's a rebirth. Everything you thought, the people that you thought loved you, the people that you kept around because they were safe at the time and they were necessary, they might all leave Mm -hmm. because they were just meant to get you to this next phase. Mm -hmm. Now you're starting over and that is terrifying. So also what we see that kickback from people, the enough of this, the trying to squash our voices is a reflection of what is also held within us. That it's still not safe yet. Mm-hmm. It's not the right time. Da, 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 whatever it is, it's the fear still in ourselves being represented externally because you know, as within, so without, as above, so below. And that rule is hard and fast. So I have found in in learning to love the darkest, shadowy parts of myself, my life has opened up in new ways. I was literally just sitting on the edge of the bed crying about this the other day that like, I did not know that love and support existed like this, that people could actually care and not just care about how you affected them. And what you could do for them and what you brought to their table. I did not know that people would come to your table. And if you didn't have one, they would build one for you. (laughs) Hmm. Well, I didn't know we were going to do this today, but sure. (laughs) (laughs) Here Here we are. are. (laughs) This is the journey. Will you, Vicky, how do we... How can the cisgender community then be the best allies that we can be in this? I mean, one, I would say doing our own inner work, right? Looking into our own shadow, turning that love into ourselves, onto ourselves, right? Because it's only through that first huge lifelong step that we're going to be able to then turn it outward. But I guess tangibly, not that that's not tangible, I suppose, but tangibly, (laughs) How do you feel like we can become the best allies that we can um, be? I think it's it's to add on to what you were just saying. If you are questioning somebody else's anything, mm. turn that reflection inwards. Question your own yep. stuff in that aspect. And when you have figured that out, then you can comment on anything that's happening externally. Because if you have a problem with somebody else's gender, 
you don't have a problem with their gender. You don't understand how they could come to that. I don't believe that homophobia, transphobia is a phobia. I, it, it just doesn't have an ism at the end. So it's not, it doesn't, mm. it's just the same way I don't agree with the word bullying because it's not fully carrying the weight of what it is. Those that are transphobic and homophobic and, and partake in any of that, they're not examining how they are contributing to the systems that keep people locked in anything, to be honest, that any, any kind of expectation, mm-hmm. whether it's gender roles, whether it's presentation, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So look at where you are participating in what it means to be a woman and what it means to be masculine mm-hmm. and what it means to subscribe to your own identity. And when you have answered those questions, you will find deeper ways to support the communities who have already answered those questions for themselves, which will lead you to trusting. And I say this for myself as well, because I've had to examine all of this for me, which allowed me and in the work I do as um, a healer to hold space for the possibility of whatever truth somebody else is experiencing. Because if it is true for them, it could also be true for me. And I have to examine that and believe them the first time, the first time. Do not, do not need proof of nothing. Believe people the first time, especially if they're a victim. Hmm. I mean, I feel like I heard Vicky just say, get your own house in order, which I love so much. Because... Yes. Mind your business. Yes. <laughs> Mind your own business. Right. That too. But I think <laughs> it's really important because so often when we talk about the inner work or like really bringing the focus back to ourselves, people are like, it's selfish to be focusing on. And no, actually, I feel mm. like we show up in the world from such a different perspective and headspace when we have done that own inner inventory, right? And said, where's this truth for me? Mm. Where is there um, some shadow bits that I could, I could, or I could um, be served by unearthing. So thank you for that. Cause I think that's a really important aspect of all of the people who are ultimately suffering and that's what they're doing. They're projecting their suffering outward if they went in and tended to their inner child for a moment, oh my God, <laughs> like what kind Ooh. of impact and ripple would that have on the planet, you know? Yeah. And your inner child yeah. will change age. Mm. In, in, on mm. the healing journey, you're, it, which, you know, is nebulous and never linear. Mm-hmm. It's not meant to be because we are not. Um, that inner child mm-hmm. may go from five years old to 15. Your inner child may be 21 and they may grow with you because there's things that need addressing at every stage. And there's things that we didn't get to express at every stage. So why not? One of my favorite things to do when I'm doing my own work is, I don't know if this happens for everybody else, but you know, when you go on, when I'm falling asleep and a memory of like sheer embarrassment pops up. It's just, oh my God, I have to relive this again. Yes. Sit there (laughs) and tell them you get to hear all that you're experiencing right now 
gets you here. We live through all of this. I have these conversations with myself. I remember being terrified and hiding from my father in the closet. This is a memory that comes back very often for me. This little child needs reassurance constantly. And I will go. Literally, I imagine myself sitting with my younger self and saying, it's okay. Just breathe through this. This only lasts today. You have an entire life that you get to Mm -hmm. live and you get to do some amazing things. And what I have found, again, because healing is not linear, that I then, the memory changes. And then what I remember is in that moment, I felt a sense that I was going to get through it. I didn't know how, but I knew that I got through it. So I did take the breath and I did trust it. And I did cry myself to sleep that night and we did wake up the next day. So there's, mm-hmm. there's a, uh, which, you know, that gets into quantum healing and stuff, but it's wild that we have so much more power and we are so much more present than we give ourselves credit for. I'm just like blown away by your wisdom. I'm so grateful for you, Vicki. I just had um, a moment of like realization as you were saying that I've never heard anyone speak to what you were just saying about your inner child being different ages. And I yesterday, yesterday had a moment where I spoke to the self that I was 12 years ago. Mm. And when my life really shifted and said, I'm just so proud of what you just did and what you accomplished and just started like weeping, um, thinking back on the self that I was at that moment in time. And I didn't have the language for that was that version of myself that I was, I was going back for. And I was like really speaking to her, but thank you for that because I just love this profound integration (laughs) of what happened yesterday. As you said that, thank you. Now I would like to, because this, this, I love when things click like that, I'm also going to put this out there for whoever ends up listening to this. Mm. You can do the same thing with a future version of yourself. Mm. You can call in the version of you that is most successful in your mind and what that looks like. You can call in the version of you that is, has healed the thing that you need the most healing on. You can call them. You can sit with it and say, look, how do we get to the other side of this? What do we need to do? How do we get there? How do I become you? And Mm -hmm. have a conversation with your future self. I know this sounds crazy, but I do this all the time. This is how I make decisions in the present. Like if if (laughs) specifically I have a lot of food issues. So when I am deciding what to eat sometimes, it is, okay, I know what I want right now. Mm -hmm. I also know, talking to my past self, how we got here. I know (laughs) we got here. How do we change this? And what do I, how can I shift this thing that I want to eat right now a little bit closer to the thing that I want to eat in the future and that the thing that we eat regularly mm-hmm. in the future? Cause I'm, I'm, I'm clearly not one to take big leaps. So we got to do little things. And then that opens up the space <laughs> for me to find the possibility. <laughs> I love you. You're amazing. <laughs> I love that. I'm going to, I'm like actually going to use that as a specific tool with so many clients too. Like, I think that would be profoundly healing for a lot of people. Thank I you think for it's that. because to go back to the, the idea of like, what can people do as allies? I think we need to remember 
all of us, that we want the same things. Mm. We all want to be loved. You know, we're not taught that that's a necessity. We're taught that like food, shelter, and clothing mm-hmm. is a necessity. We're not taught that love is the driving force of life. We all want to feel safe. We want our families to feel safe. Yeah. Like nobody wants to feel unsafe on purpose. Some people just get accustomed to it and that's what they know. So they keep creating it. Mm-hmm. We all want that and we all need community. So how as an ally, The question for you then is what can you bring forward? Not what can you take away? What can you bring forward that amplifies those things? Because everybody's thing or what they can bring to the table is going to be different. As it should be. I told you. He was like an unbelievable treasure. Um, I feel like we could just keep going with you for hours, Vicky, but... We want to be mindful of your time. So um, we're going to get on to our lightning round of questions that we asked. Oh, snap. Okay. Okay. (laughs) So the first question is, who have been your greatest mentors, teachers, influences, whether they're people that you know, or just people who've impacted your journey up to this point? Um, I think one of my biggest mentors in life, and wasn't until later, was my grandmother. Mm -hmm. I found out that when I was older, mm-hmm. I found out because, you know, she was starting to lose it a bit. Dementia's real. Um, she would tell stories about how in the 80s, she would, she worked in a pharmacy and she would take the medicine from the pharmacy and give it to those with HIV and AIDS at their homes because they weren't legally allowed inside of the pharmacies. Things that you don't know about people until mm-hmm. you know them. And she was very much oh. that woman. And that has always been a huge inspiration. Do the thing that is hard for other people to do and easy for you. Because that is where oh. your authenticity lies. <laughs> oh, her spirit is in woo! you. When we look at that generational lineage, whoa, I mean, yeah. what gets opened up. My Franny's God. A, um, a huge inspiration. Wow. And she, ooh, now here you go. Me too. She is with me all the time. Um, and all the teachers I had growing up that were in music and theater and gave me a safe place for me to then build the world that I'm building to provide those spaces for others. <laughs> you said lightning, but girl, you can't. It is what it is. <laughs> here for it. We're here. comes up. It's like he takes us. Okay, so this concept of flow, right? This this thing that you're doing where you just overcome and six six hours goes by, you you know, you blink your eyes, like what is that for you? What is flow? Flow for me is magic. It's there's something that happens, and I don't necessarily choose to be in flow sometimes. It's those days for me that just line up. You start the day with a song, and then the next thing you know, oh, the whole day went. I didn't even know. And things happen. I get Mm. gifts. I didn't ask for stuff. I have to be very careful because I'm very powerful. But I do get gifts and they they come very strangely (laughs) and in ways that I didn't know. So I was talking, I was looking at these beds because I wanted to put my bed lower to the ground. And the next thing you know, my dog ends up hurt and I have to put my bed on the ground. 
And I'm like, see, look at that gift. You made me have to do it. God made me have to do it. <laughs> so flow to me doesn't always look like the easiest ride or the like it makes the most sense. Mm. But in the long run, you get what you ask for. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. And Vicky, what breaks your heart? Oh. <laughs> what breaks my heart is when people lie. When people lie to themselves. Mm. When I can hear it. I can hear when someone has covered up the truth and it usually has to do with their sense of worthiness. And I found this from my own work, um, especially working with plant medicine, that the worthy wound is covered up with humility and it's false because we're taught that pride is sinful. And for me, (laughs) and it is, excuse me while I write a note. (laughs) It's for me, it it showed up as self-deprecation and it showed up as this idea of like, oh no, 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 you can do that. I'm fine. When in reality, I should be doing that thing because I'm the one who's best at it. (laughs) I love that. My Angela talks about, she has like, she had no tolerance for modesty because it's always a lie. Like it's you presenting something that you know, isn't true, but Mm. in order to, to fit in, to be accepted, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I love that you said lie to yourself. Be too much. Because I think it's so, you know, that that is what breaks your heart, watching people lie to themselves. Yeah, I don't care if you lie to me because you won't do it. <laughs> because I, I will know the truth. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know, know you're lying to me, so, <laughs> so go ahead and lie. I'm not worried. <laughs> Good luck. Okay, so this last one, I want to ask, I suppose maybe it's asking your past self versus your future self, actually. We usually ask, what's your favorite food? Oh, my favorite? <laughs> but now I feel like we've got we've got no, two no, different no. answers. Actually, <laughs> I have question. had this discussion. My favorite food will remain the same for some time. Currently, it is carbs and cheese. As long as there is some kind of carb and some kind of cheese, I'm a very, very happy person. <laughs> Just give me some carbs and cheese, whatever it looks like. Preferably, if we can dip the carbs in the cheese, that's exciting. <laughs> Fair enough. Vicki. Yeah, I'm with I you. I just want to say to you, um, you know, I, I feel like I scratched the surface of getting to know you the last time that mm. we met. It is such an unbelievable honor to know you, sister. And the, here's the other thing. For me, a hero is someone who has every reason in the world to shut down their heart and stop meeting this world with love, but continues to keep their heart open and love in the biggest, boldest way. You are an unbelievable hero to me. Thank you for who you are. And thank you for being a way shower. I am so honored just to know you truly and grateful for who you are. Thank you, Diva. I just need to sit with that for a second because that was lovely. Thank you. It's very, very good. good? (laughs) So good. You should oh, speak to people. So Just like let the Danae walk <laughs> yeah. over you. You should, <laughs> should you do this for a Oh, God, it says. Oh, Vicky, where can our where can our listeners find find you though? So they want to connect with you more. They want to get to know you more. All of the social you? media is at the Vicky Vox. Um, if you would like to see some of the work that I do and any classes or events that I am participating in or holding myself, unifiedrainbow.com. Thank you. Yeah. Mm, so much. 
Thank you for doing this. Thank you for having me. Thank you for helping this conversation expand and progress. I really appreciate y'all. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to share it with a friend, subscribe, and give us a five-star review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to connect with us more, find us on Instagram at Cheaper Than Therapy, the podcast. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com